I'm reminded of home sitting in this cafe, looking at the radiators very specifically. Yeah, we're in a little bar called the the Gian, Gianpaolo Cafe, uh, the foot of the Grand Sasso. And yeah, they're quite, quite striking. They kind of remind me of the ones that I had at school to a degree, but look quite industrial. You, who, who makes them? Is it a, no, uh, well, multiple different brands make them, but they're very characteristic of Italy and quite specifically Italy. I've never seen them anywhere else. And they're squared off and they are the actual kind of vents, I don't know, the bits, the wings, the kind of, the bit that's supposed to radiate the heat out, it, very, very thin. You can see it's kind of like, can you see that like, like, almost is, like yeah. thin metal? And I think they're quite efficient. A particular style of, and you'll see them all over Italy, everywhere to this day. And what's quite interesting is the house, we, when we bought the house in 2008, we bought it from a, a Sicilian family who'd lived there for 45 years. And they basically turned a little house in South London into Sicily. So we had um, two fig trees at the back. Uh, inside, it was all like, it was all Italian architecture and all that sort of thing. And they had these very specific, they'd obviously had them imported specially, these Italian radiators. And then when we redecorated one room and then and built a little bit of an extension, we, we didn't want any other radiators other than, so we went to great lengths to actually get hold quite of punchy, Italian radiators. Quite, quite punchy price. It wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like nipping down wicks or yeah, B&Q. Yeah. So, but I, I'm quite pleased we did because they're quite, I, I, I like them. Yeah. They do look quite nice. And obviously, I, I haven't seen them in schools at all. Um, I just made that up, but they look very efficient. Um, and what a nice cafe as well, lots of police knocking about. Yeah, can you um, set the scene where we are? Yeah, we're, we're in a hotel at the bottom of the, Gra uh, the Grand Sasso climb. Um, now, ridiculously, if we were to drive up this morning, it would be tw a 25 kilometer drive. Our colleague, Davide, um, is about to set off on that drive, about 40 minutes, 35 minute drive. But if we go up by cable car, it's five minutes. I asked him, I asked Davide, because he's been driving around. We've all been in quite good hire cars, actually, but Davide's been driving around in this van. And I said to him this morning, I said, so what have you got in the back of the van? And he goes, to be honest, nothing really. <laughs> what do you mean? He goes, I've got, I've, got some, I've got some tables, trestle tables. I've got some road books, um, some spare bits and pieces, but I haven't opened it once or taken anything out of it yet. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, the amount of travel we've got to do on this trip you, you, you want a, a half decent car don't you not a van and it, it's not got great suspension and um, they're getting they seem to be getting to the hotels later and later because it's such a an ordeal and he's got to drive up the mountain in that I don't envy him because we understand that one of the reasons that we can't go up in the car anyway we've got to use the cable car is because there's reduced parking space because the snow hasn't cleared they have cleared a lot of the snow but not anywhere near enough snow to facilitate everybody so I'm quite looking forward to it I, I, I seem to remember going up this in the past with Halesy, but I can't quite remember. They all, they all blur into one, but it's a lovely day, blue skies, um, maybe a little bit of drizzle forecast later, but not too bad. And I think it's gonna be quite chilly up top because we're well over 2,000 meters, aren't we? But it looks, the scene's set, lots of police around, and yeah, I'm excited for today. By Halesy, you mean Rob Hales, the bronze medalist at the Olympic Games in Athens? Yes, and a former national road race champion as and well. A former world champion in the Madison discipline, uh, going back to 2005 in, the, in, in tandem, with uh, Mark Cavendish. Yeah, and he won that again a couple of years later, won it in 2008 as well. So. In tandem with? Um, I don't know. Ed Clancy? Ed Cl that's how, no, let's say Ed Clancy. Let's say. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. I remember uh, Halesy and Cav on the podium of the Archer Grand Prix, a premier calendar uh, back, in the, back in the UK that I was racing, and they were presenting the prizes as the, as, as the world champion duo on the, on the open side of a lorry, which was the podium for that race. 
fabulous. And Cav had like a, a number one buzz cut, didn't he? Or he did when he won the race. Anyway, he might have grown back by the time the archer came around. Yeah, and he was, um, yeah, young and just just different and yeah, a very very young Cav. But I can't quite remember his haircut. He might, he might be wearing a hat. I've I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement recently, an NDA about a film which is um, going to come out in, in late summer about um, the, the aforementioned Mark Cavendish. But I can't talk about it. I've just realised I literally... Uh, but I, he's explaining why I can't say anything about it. Yeah. I did that... I was just wondering, perhaps, that particular... Is, was there, is, there a, is there a scene? Maybe there's some footage of that particular presentation on the side of a lorry uh, that you've had to narrate, perhaps. Here's the thing. Even when I, even when I press stop here and we stop recording I'm still not going to tell you because I'm legally I just say and I, and, I, and I respect you as a professional and as a friend for that yeah. uh, I'll still pick away at you for the rest of the two weeks that we've got yeah. remains I can get uh, eek anything out of you but um, that's good but <laughs> what you've done is tease our listeners now um, now um, can I be absolutely brutally honest with you about today's stage it's I know I think I know what you're going to say what do you think I'm going to say until the last 8k it's not my grind. It's going to be an absolute grind, isn't it? Yeah, it's your words were quite simple words um, that I think kind of demystify the stage a lot. Um, at breakfast, which was meagre, I'll be honest with you, that's why we've moved cafes. Um, there's a lot of uphill, but gradual uphill where nothing's going to kick off. Uh, thank goodness there's a, a gentle tailwind, but most of the that stage, tailwind, yeah, 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 tailwind. Sorry, no, no, but most of the stage, what you said. did I? All right, <laughs> most of the stage, looking at the profile, is uphill. There's a big uphill bit, then a, a short downhill bit, then an uphill bit for 40 k's. There's a climb, which is a categorised climb. Then it drops down like 2 k. Then we climb Grand Sasso. So it's just a lot of big valley roads in, in that a, go up in an arrow straight line as well. It's yeah, like it's. It's incredibly straight, isn't it? Yeah. So no, 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 it's not even wavy, not even any turns. No, they didn't use the word wavy, yeah. uh, but yesterday they did use the word wavy. When I say they, the organisation and the person who clearly writes the road book year on year. But it, it does fall into this, you know, I think quite well-established trend for the, you know, this was obviously one of the big important days towards the end of the first week. One that the, the Giro has kind of marketed itself around a little bit. The Grand Sasso, it means a lot, as we'll come on to. You know, it's full of kind of resonant sporting history and other history. Spectacular, I think it's going to look... Um, but I don't think I don't anticipate the racing to be anything like as interesting as it has been over the last couple of days. I'll be honest. Until the last eight kilometres. Yeah, I don't think it's two hundred and eighteen kilometre stage. Yeah, a break will go quite early, and I, I don't think they'll be given how hard it is. Maybe it will be quite active. I hope it is quite an active first start because that's those active starts are great for us before things settle down. It could be quite inhibiting. Like it could have an inhibiting effect on the race because I think everyone knows it's coming back together. It'll be ridden down, won't it today? Yes. I think a break, a break's not going to stay to the finish. It's, it's a, it's a tw- because okay, even taking out the first, the forty k's, it's a twenty. The Grand Sasso climb is forty k's, so tw- it's twenty-five kilometres. It's a long old haul, um, and we know that teams like Ineos, I think they'll they'll be happy to pick it up early. And just moving into slightly racing, um, but a punditry almost, I do think that the Ineos and Ineos and UAE might want to kick things off to see how quickly they can isolate Remco. Um, and that is, that's going to spell the death knell for any breakaway, I think. So I think it's going to stymie any ambition uh, to get in a break because it's going to be forlorn. And there's, and there's not a lot of intermediate stuff out there. There's, well, there's three climbs, say, one midway through and then two near the end. Um, but I do think if there is a break, and I, th- I think there will be one, a, sh- a small one, it's inevitably going to get caught uh, for what will be an exciting, hopefully, half an hour of racing. But before that, we've got five and a half hours. 
Yeah, literally. It's interesting, isn't it, how Jumbo Visma scarcely merit a mention in, in terms of like the tactics at the moment of how this might unfold. Now, that's not to say that Primoz Roglic won't specifically him play a fundamentally important role towards the end. But as a team, I think they're going to be passive and I think they're going to be observers. Don't you? I can't see them actually dictating terms here today at all. I think over the last few days it's been exactly the same. They've been efficient. They've, um, Roglic again had, a, had difficulty yesterday, had to, had to puncture, didn't they? We think he fell off as well, which we mentioned before. But yes, They've never taken the race up at all. Uh, even the positioning play, they've been like third or fourth team. They've been there or thereabouts, but never. And I have a feeling that they're just saving as much energy as they can because I think Roglic will be fine, but the team has been, how, you can't really say that they've cobbled together a squad, but how many changes have they had in, in the, the week preceding the race up until the day of the race when Thomas Glow came in? So they've got a degree of inexperience in that squad. So I think they'd rather, and they've got UEE and, and Ineos doing what they do best. And that's a, that allows them just to sit back a little bit and let those, those teams dictate, take the wind. Um, and also take, take, take a little bit of the mental strain as well. So I think so far, um, aside from a few bits of bad luck, Jumbo Risma have ridden a smart race, uh, given the resource they've got at their disposal. Yeah. Well, the most stressful part of the, after, the morning is behind us, which was moving the car from where we ended up parking it late last night. <laughs> I parked it so close to, actually just outside this lev lovely bar we're sitting in, I parked so close to the parapet outside that I had to... <laughs> I've never, in, a, in, the, in, in, in my history of being in motor vehicles, parked so close to the entrance of a cafe and a bench at the same time. It was we, quite, the, the bump was nearly touching the bench. It was actually quite good parking, but then I couldn't get out. Dark, I, I couldn't get out, could I? So I had to do the clambering over the gear stick sort of thing. And, <laughs> and I, my elbow, as I was trying to leave, leave myself out of the driving seat so I could clamber over the passenger seat and out of the car, my left elbow tried to push off against the steering wheel. And of course I went... Dur -dur -dur -dur. And of course, we, we laughed uh, quite a lot, didn't we? We laughed quite a lot. But yeah, yeah that, I, I must admit, Ned, um, that's why this morning... I was kind of hovering a little bit further away from the car because he said, should we move it? And I was like, yeah, go on then. And, yeah, and, 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 and I put the stuff in the bin when we cleared the car. I anticipate right? that happening again. And, uh, I was quite happy for you to do the clambering again. But I moved the car away from what was really quite an antisocial place to park, let's be honest. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, and I put it in what looked like the official organisation car park, very much in, in, uh, down here. So I thought I was doing exactly the right thing. And I actually kind of reversed in, left it really nicely sort of angled so potentially get out quite quickly. But it also, not in a, in a you know, totally authorised position, I thought. Got out, locked it, started walking away from the vehicle, and an elderly carabinieri comes lumbering over, wagging no, no, the no. finger, no, 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 wagging no, no, no. the finger like you're doing to me now. And um, it, it, it was just, that's just, that in itself is just writ large over, over the space of a, a month of a grand tour. Just that little irritation of being told, you're, you're, in, you're in the wrong place here, mate. You've got to move the car. But the right place is just over there. It's just that, it's like, like really? Literally 20 yards over there, mate. Go yeah. and move it 20 yards. I got back in the car, don't move it. And that's like, that is the grand tour experience. It's just like somebody every day flicking your ear, in it? It is. We're laughing now because we've got a nice coffee and we hadn't had a nice coffee up until this point. But it's, you look quite weary yeah. uh, and all you have to do is drive it. But I, I, was, I was thinking exactly the same. Um, but you had a, you, you've already had, I think, a similar mood swing that you've come out of. But I think you were, quite, you were a little bit, you were having your ear flicked a bit of breakfast, weren't was. you? Well, <laughs> when you, I couldn't find, firstly, I couldn't see any coffee. And there was a, there, there was a, they've got some coffee in the end. And it was, it was vile. It was utterly vile. Um, and that made me sad. And then every time... Was it grotesque? It was, it was grotesque. Well, it was grotesque. It was grotesque and sad. It was sadly grotesque. 
had that, I had a sip of that, and then, um, then every time I sat down, I, I got a bit of some, some fruit, which was really nice, which you recommend, some fruit salad, that was nice. Then I had uh, a croissant. But every time I sat down, I'd forgotten to get the utensil with which to eat that particular bit of food. So I was up and down three or four times, couldn't find a knife, eventually found a knife, couldn't find a spoon, eventually found a spoon. And then I cut into the croissant, had a couple of bites, and it was overly dense. So I left the coffee and I left the croissant. And, and then, of course, I had an issue with the microphone uh, this morning. Uh, and it was just... Yeah, I'm better now, Ned, but yeah. It's like you say, a series of small things that accumulate, that kind of that wear you down. But um, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's kind of pitiful, really, and pathetic. But that's where we are, and this is what we do. <laughs> this is very much, and that, that brought us into a little, um, a little appreciation of Nico Dents from Bora Hansgrohe, didn't it? It did. You, because yeah. we see him a lot. He's, a, he's active at the front, isn't he, doing his job, especially over the last few stages, been um, yeah, trying to get him breaks as well. But your description of him, you didn't use words. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you descri- you described Nico I'll Dents as describe, I'll have to do the words. It's like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's how I can't. Yeah, I can't describe what you're doing there. Put a dynamic position on the bike. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, a man of some heft. Yeah. Uh, and then I added it's got, something it's about got a chin, a, a Jimmy Greaves chin. No, no, Jimmy Hill. Jimmy Hill chin. But then I said not, but not as Jimmy as Jimmy Hilly as Jimmy as Jimmy Hill. So a reason you said is, and then you went was because you yes. remember that Jimmy sadly left us. Yeah, exactly. That was. Yeah, so, so we spent a lot of time uh, thinking about Nico Densley for some reason. Maybe well, because your crust one, wasn't it? Oh, that's it, because... <laughs> yes, because... Oh, it was a dense crust one. Then you picked up on that uh, to, to talk about Nico Dens, and here we are, uh, reminiscing about that very moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so while we're, on the subject, while we're on the subject of riders with quite distinctive... Um, uh, no, not, not so much chins, although he has got a relatively distinctive chin. Uh, positions on a bike. Styles, right, styles. Um, <clears throat> last night, we had the latest from Mr. Breakaway, Charlie Quarter. Man. Well, what can I say? I, I had quite a nice bicycle ride today in, the, in and around the Napoli, which is kind of fun. I must admit, I'm not a big fan of the road system around here. Um, the road map is a little bit like uh, how it would look if you just used a bowl of spaghetti as, as, the, as the basis, really. There are a lot of kind of dangerous corners and roads going in directions you wouldn't expect them to. Um, but anyway, that's one thing. Unfortunately, I decided to go, go for my bicycle ride with, uh, with a few guys that climb a little bit too fast. Um, I just checked and I'm about 10 or 12 kilos heavier than the, uh, than the lightest of them. And that's probably why I was, I was suffering every time it went a little bit uphill. Um, by the way, I am, of course, talking about stage whatever it was, six, I think, um, the day I was in the breakaway. It was nice. I mean, it's a little bit too hard to really appreciate the enormity of it, you know, to be to be in front on a day when it's possible to make it to the finish and, uh, and yeah, be riding well. It's just a shame that they attacked on the final climb and uh, to, to, to drop me and uh, and my, my two other human friends. Um, because I know I was, I was the, I think I was, being the biggest, I was probably the strongest on the flat as well, so I would have been quite useful, I think. But um, but they had other plans anyway. So yeah, that's how it was. But um, tough day out. I think it'd probably be quite nice for a holiday around there. Um, you could be tucked away and you wouldn't hear the uh, the busy Napoli uh, city, city centre. But uh, I think it, I think we were coming here on holiday before as well uh, in the Amalfi, and I remember it being quite nice. But bicycle riding, I wouldn't. 
I recommend being a little bit careful and definitely having disc brakes because you need to brake quite a lot and quite suddenly. Um, but it's all good. A really nice day. I didn't fall over the side of a cliff on the descent, so so that's very positive. And uh, although we didn't make it to the end, I had a fantastic day trying, and uh, and I don't feel completely empty right now. So I'm ready to go for more. Honestly, it was unforgettable, but. Uh, I hope to make uh, hope to do something even more unforgettable. Now I've got a little bit of confidence, and and I I know I can uh, I can be out there in front. Ciao. Well, we're taking the cable car to work today, which is not something you say every day, but you normally get one stage, don't you, on each grand tour where you take the cable car to work, and today's that day. Might not be the only one. Who knows? Yeah, I'm um, again. I haven't looked super deep into this race as. Um, as, um, as the bland interviews sometimes go, uh, pre and post stages, yeah, we're going to take it day by day. Uh, but today, as you say, Grand Sasso. It's, um, yeah, we're just waiting for our turn to hop up. And I believe you can get like 40 people in one of these Massive. Um, what do you call it? Gondola. Gondola, yeah. It's in stark contrast <coughs> to our Zonkolan uh, adventure a couple of years ago, isn't it? Le- yeah. That, well, that was one of those, what do you call them? What do you call them? Because I don't, I don't do skiing, so I don't know the correct I terminology. Do, I don't do skiing either. So Chairlift. Chairlift. So it wasn't. Was it wasn't. Co- we weren't contained within a metal box of any description. We just had our bums on a little bench and one of those kind of roller coaster guards that stop you falling to your death. Yeah, th- there wasn't a lot between us and 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 the end, was there? Really? No, and, and there was a lot of snow. There wasn't a lot between us and and um, a, a, a snowstorm. Yeah, so we, 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 we were just went in the, we're in the clouds, weren't we? And yeah. we were covered in. You lent me slush. your beanie hat, I think. I did. Um, for which I was extremely grateful because it might have saved my life. I mean, by the time we got to the top, we were, we were literally just kind of like snowmen. Would well, you remember getting to the top of that one? I know we're casting up an old story, but we got to the top, and then it was so that the, the cloud was so dense, we didn't know what direction Nico, to walk. Nico dense. <laughs> we go. He's popped back. He's back in the pod. But there, we, there was a couple of Belgian commentators, and they were like, we were like, where do we go? Oh, yeah. Because we couldn't see which path to yeah. take. We're at the top of a mountain, yeah. and we couldn't see like 10 metres. Yeah. It's Roach. It's Stephen Roach. <laughs> Emerging. <laughs> and we found ourselves. It was quite, yeah. Um, but here we are in this... Uh, yeah, it's a. I have been up here before, but the, a, a few years ago with Rob Hales, he of uh, Olympic medal fame. But I'm looking forward to this. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a nice way to get to work. There's, um, I think I'll tell, I'll try and tell the story when I've had a bit more time to research it up at the top when we get to the top. But there's a, there's a little plaque actually just um, screwed into the wall next to where we're waiting to get in into the gondola which uh, is dedicated to the memory of two police well one police officer and one guardia forestale which is i don't know if that has an equivalent in 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 britain but you get the idea kind of forest police officer um called pasquale vitorco and his uh, police officer colleague giovanni natale who lost their lives on the 12th of september 1943 where it all kicked off on grand sasso Off we go. Rolling away. Shooting straight up in the sky. Look at that. Time it. Yeah. 9.31. Oh. A little bit of a lurch forward and um, in bright sunshine. Clouds just playing across the uh, the top of the mountains. Up we go to the top of the Grand Sasso. Dashboard on there. Got all the knobs. You can actually see the speed and uh, the altitude. Vento. Uh, so 6Ks an hour. 6Ks an hour. That's... Pretty rapid, isn't it? Yeah. 
actually a lot more buttons on this because we're standing right next to the driver, aren't we? Yeah. Driver? Yeah, pilot. 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 Um, there's two emergency buttons for anomalies. It's called the anomalia button. So if there's an anomaly, they'll whack that and that will sort the anomaly. <laughs> well, it's fabulous now. The whole valley is just uh, opening up behind us. And uh, up we go to the top of Grand Sasso. Wow, so we got to the top of the mountain and uh, walked from the cable car to uh, our commentary position. Uh, ahead of us is um, a bank of snow. They've done a terrific job, haven't they, clearing the snow? Because I saw pictures of here, like, of just a week ago, and it was five metres of snow. A lot of it's melted away, but not all of it, and um, they've cleared a lot of the snow, but it's... It's actually snowing, Ned. It's actually, the weather's come in since we've got here. Oh, yeah, it ago. is. It's actually, there's light flurries of snow. So yeah, they're, they're, sorry, they have done a crack. Oh, just as you were saying that, I was just looking at the snow just starting to fall. Uh, it's going to be an epic day, especially uh, especially the last part. It is, um, it's bleak, isn't it? It's, it's Galibier-esque, isn't it? Really, if you wanted a comparison. Yeah, it's like a shoulder, isn't it? It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a proper sort of like shoulder of of, uh, of a summit. Actually, very little space up here. I understand why now. Getting up here, you've been up here already in 2018 when Simon Yates won, but um, I've not been here before, and there's very little space for the infrastructure here. There's an observatory to our right that looks quite modern, uh, uh, quite newly built. There's a, there's a cafe straight ahead of us, which uh, we're gonna go and explore fairly soon once we've finished our prep. But to the left and just hidden behind um, some of the infrastructure of the TV compounds is a really battered looking building that looks quite clearly like it's um, sort of weather beaten, quite big, but it looks like it's the oldest building on the top of the mountain. Now that building was built in uh, the late 1930s as um, part of a hotel complex that was going to be built up near the ski station where there used to be a funicular that came all the way up here actually and I think we saw remains of that funicular right. yeah, we, so we saw the old battered building didn't we just yeah. just near the top so they were building this hotel complex at the top of Grand Sasso as a ski location and the, uh, they originally planned three buildings um, in different shapes the one that has been built and the other two never got built the one that survived to this day um, was called the Hotel uh, uh, Campo Imperatore and if you look at it from the top, from the helicopter, well, you see it from the helicopter shots later, it's built partly in the shape of a D. The other two buildings, hotels, that were planned were going to be built in the shape of a V and an X. Um, and that, was, that, was, that would have stood for DVX, which was the Latin transcription of Il Duce. Oh, right, okay. That's, didn't yeah. know that. There we go. Uh, Il Duce, obviously, being Benito Mussolini. So it was built, it was built to um, honour and memorialise the fascist leader of, uh, of Italy at, at, at the time. Now, the twist of fate was that, as we've been talking about throughout the opening week of the Giro d'Italia, 1943, exactly 80 years ago, um, everything was changing in Italy. The Allies had landed in Sicily. Um, shortly thereafter, um, um, the, the, there was a vote of no confidence in the Italian Parliament, in the fascist government. Um, the king uh, replaced Benito Mussolini, who was arrested on leaving the king's palace. Um, he was replaced by a, an, another prime minister, who at first actually continued to be on the side of the Axis powers, so didn't instantly flip the allegiance um, to, to join the Allies. But obviously that wasn't far off. And in the uh, armistice that was eventually negotiated in Sicily, um, I think in May, or eight May I think it was of 1943, um, everything changed. They did switch sides. But the Germans already, so Adolf Hitler quite specifically, was very conscious that with Mussolini's arrest and, and the end of the fascist regime, it was self-evident that the Italians were right on the cusp of switching sides. And he was trying to do everything that he could to prevent that from happening. 
In the meantime, Benito Mussolini, having been arrested, uh, it, it was incredibly important that his location, his physical location, was kept secret. So um, for a while he was in a hotel, then he was moved to a remote island in the Tyrrhenian Sea, and then uh, moved to another villa, and then eventually he was transported up to the top of the Gran Sasso. Um, ironically, he was basically imprisoned in this hotel, the Hotel Imperatore was built in his, but he was a prisoner there, guarded by 200 carabinieri. Right? The Germans went to enormous trouble to find out where Mussolini was, and all sorts of subterfusion. As ever, Adolf Hitler was playing one sort of department of his army and his secret services off against the other, so he'd, he tasked several different you know, um, departments of his of his of his structure, to, with the task of finding and, and getting Benito Mussolini out of imprisonment, and all sorts of subterfuge and bribery were used. And in event, eventually, I think I'm right in saying that it was a, a a spy who a German who had convinced the Italian authorities that he was coming up to do a, a, a an inspection of the hotel up here with the aim of setting up a, a hospital up here. But actually, he was just coming up to find out whether Benito Mussolini was up here. And I think that was the, the, the key bit of information. They eventually established that Mussolini was being held up here in Gran Sasso. And then had to figure out how to get him out. In the end, it was an audacious um, uh, raid. They took off uh, ten gliders, each carrying nine soldiers, being towed by propeller aircraft from an airfield outside Rome. Uh, around about midday and they got here in the early afternoon up into the, the mountains in Abruzzo, uh, released the gliders uh, which then drifted down uh, and only one of them sort of crash landed injuring a few of the soldiers, the other nine landed perfectly and the soldiers uh, got out. The two um, victims that we discussed earlier at the bottom of the cable car, one of them was preparing his weapon to open fire and uh, he was seen doing that, he was shot dead <coughs> and the other, the other guy, the, the forester, <coughs> was I think they were afraid that he he'd spotted them and he was going to alert <coughs> excuse me his colleagues at the top of the mountain of the presence of these German troops now moving fast uh, to get to the hotel they got here 200 of them and they freed Mussolini uh, without a shot being fired oh, right okay there wasn't a battle it was just literally they just uh, there he <coughs> is the, the, the resistance melted away and they handed over Benito Mussolini let's not forget this was a he was being held hostage here. This wasn't a prison. He was just being held here. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, it was kind of a strange it wasn't situation. Fortified, was it? really, was it? Just guarded. Yeah. And I would imagine as well. I'm just guessing here, but amongst the 200 carabinieri, there would have been mixed feelings about the task that had been allotted to them. Anyway, they were look. They were guarding Benito Mussolini. He was their leader and had been for a long time. For, so, heaven, yeah. for heaven's sake, it must have been quite an interesting position that they were in. Anyway, Mussolini was freed. They had to then get him off the mountain. And looking here, you kind of think, well, how's, how's that even going to work? They managed to land the Heinkel, um, sm very small light aircraft here, with a short takeoff or landing capacity. And th th Mussolini and his entourage packed into this plane. It was overloaded. But they somehow managed to get it off and take off from here. It was apparently incredibly dangerous and nearly went wrong, they f but they did. They took off from here, they flew him off the mountain, they landed at an airfield near Rome, which, don't forget, was still, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, safe territory for them. Switched him into an aircraft, flew him from Rome to Vienna, switched him into another aircraft, Vienna to Munich, and later on that day he was in Munich and he was transported up to the Wolf's Nest and uh, he was welcomed by the Fuhrer. Blimey, that's some story, isn't it? It's that's off it's, the it's, scale, it's, Matt. You couldn't really make it up it's it's it's, a, it's almost a work of fiction isn't it but it's extraordinary but and here we are just we we can can see the hotel it's just, just we should mooch down 
I definitely need to take a photograph. Uh, what an amazing story. And thank you to the Giro d'Italia for, for bringing us up here. It has to be said, in the sort of like information I've been given in the Gallagher, there is no mention of the Gran Sasso raid, which I understand. Yeah. I, you know, Italian sensibilities are clearly very different from mine. But, um, but my God, I'm curious about that story. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it? We've relocated to the only cafe at the top, and it's fabulous, isn't it? It's got a little museum inside, and yeah. it's uh, and it's warm. It's it's warm. It's um, we've we've got we're sat at a very small window looking out into the abyss, basically. Um, yeah, it's the clouds are moving in, then it clears, and we just we can actually see the cable car that we came up in. That's just to our left. Immediately to our right, and looking downwards, it's like an atrium, is an old enormous bit of machinery which is we we believe we Win think the winch yeah the i think it's a funicular yeah, yeah. Link, that, that would be this would be the last bit because there was well because we saw the old bit that we mentioned but this is the last bit yeah and it's um it's amazing and they've, they've really done it up beautifully now I'm, i have been here before but never been up to this bit so we're just sipping a cappuccino and marveling at how wonderfully strange this place is and there's a photography exhibition here of a, um of, of a yeah, landscapes of, of the snowscape up here called Frozen Windows, which is rather nice. Um, so I've had a little look around there while you were getting in our third cappuccino of the morning. We're slightly overdoing it a bit, but um, but we did notice as well, they're going to make so much, it's only a small cafe, they're going to make so much money up here because it's the only place, it's the only place, and it's really cold outside. And one of the three or four people serving behind the bar was 10% Lizzie Dignan, wasn't she? Yeah, you pointed it out. Um and I, I agreed. So that that's basically in our in our little pantheon of Italian people that look like other people. So so far we've got Jimmy Greaves. Jimmy Greaves. We've got um, Italian Anthony McCrossan, one of our colleagues. Yeah. Um, Italian Daniel Lloyd. Italian Dan, Italian Daniel Lloyd. There's another one, isn't there? Carl, well, there was last year. There was Italian Carlton Kirby, but he's I haven't seen him on this race. No. And then there's another strange. It's a, an amalgam of two people. It's Italian. Well, it's Mark Cavendish. And Fernando Gaviria, Caviria. Yeah, he was a barrier person. But I haven't seen him on this race, have you? No, he's probably around. I saw him on Torreno, so he's definitely about, but I've not seen him yet. Um, but yeah, definitely another one to add. Uh, clearly uh, Lizzie lookalike, but importantly, there's a bit of a, an issue going on. In, in, I think it was in relation to the speed that this young woman was serving at. So she was taken to one side briefly and, and told off in no uncertain terms by the proprietor, I think, who's clearly the head honcho. And didn't she look cheesed off? Yeah, she wasn't impressed, but I mean, it's a big day for the cafe today. They can make more money today, statistically, than in the next 38 years of trading. Yeah, and, 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 that's, and, and, and you've pulled that off the top of your head, and I think you're you, ballpark correct. <laughs> um, you came up here in 2018 when Simon Yates won. Yeah. What do you remember of that race? How, what, how, does this, how does this climb play out? The, the, firstly, the stage was very similar. They actually went up. So the climb, a long way before this climb, so it's basically the same stage apart from about the first excuse me, 30 k's, um, there was a break that got swept up on midway up the climb. I can't remember who was in it. And then because the climb's so steep at the end, there wasn't really any racing from a GC um, perspective until only about four k's to go. Yep. So I'm, th I'm thinking something similar is going to happen today. I do think a break would go clear. Uh, but then the final pitches, especially the last three k actually, are really selective. And that's when Yatesy just went clear. And it was a, a different day. It was really clear. It was cold. But it was clear, and this place was absolutely rammed with people and fans. Um, but today, there's not many people here yet. Benvenuti, everyone. It's a huge day at the Giro d'Italia. The first mighty summit finish above 2,000 snow-capped metres. 
For the first time in five years, the race returns to the Gran Sasso d'Italia. A huge peak in Abruzzo atop a 26-kilometer climb, which the riders reach only after the second longest stage of the entire race. It's going to be brutal, folks. I mean, I, well, number one, I forgot to record the commentary of the finish. I could recreate it here by shouting very loudly something about Davide Baez. Um, but uh, well, well, we've, got, we've got hours ahead of us in which to dissect the race, haven't we? Because yeah. much more pressingly, we're in one of the most um, potentially kind of depressing situations uh, that I've ever found myself in a, in a Grand Tour at the moment. Yeah, we're, we're back at the, the ski lift, job done today. Um, we've got the small matter of getting into the ski lift and going back down the mountain, but there's a, an enormous queue. <laughs> we, I'm going to be honest with you, um, we did slow, we flashed our passes, moved to the front of the queue, and somehow have ended up within 10 minutes in the building because it's freezing cold outside. I mean, there must uh, be two, 200 people that are at, stranded outside. It's getting on for 7 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, and there's only 40 people per gondola. And each trip, so it's eight minutes down, eight minutes back. So you've just got to do the maths. I remember last time uh, we were here, we did wait over an hour. Yeah. I think we're going to be a bit better, a bit luckier this Just time. Just because we flicked everybody there, went on the outside. We, we did, we went up the outside. And previously in the past, that there has been um, a separate queue for, for staff, you know, to get off the mountain and get... It's, it's not that we're any better than any, anybody who's come up to support the Giro. It's just that we've got a kind of job to do three-hour drive later. But we've, we've done all right, but we still want to get down the mountain. Um, a little bit nervous about the gondola. I didn't really like the upwards experience. I'm wondering what the downwards experience is going to be like. But faster. It's faster. <laughs> Slightly it's descent. A bit wobblier. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got a particular gait that I adopt. Uh, it's almost like getting on a, on a long skateboard just to steady myself. Yeah. Um, I've also got a bad back. Um, yeah, well, how's your back? It's, it's, it's still in pain. It's in quite is a bit it? of pain. Yeah, it's hurting now. I wasn't looking forward to standing around in the cold. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take an, another ibuprofen, I yeah. think, for the car journey. Although I could have used the fact that you are basically an invalid an aged invalid and I could have used that to my benefit by saying I've got to get mate I've got to get this guy look at the old fella got to, look at the old boy it's borderline being airlifted off yeah I mean look yeah, at the I've got to get him off the mountain look at the old boy I mean look at that moustache that that, <laughs> that early I mean it's whiter than it was before isn't it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, is yeah, a bit yeah. quite white isn't it's it four day no five, six day moustache seven day six days yeah I think yeah yeah I, yeah, I, I shaved the first day then I thought now I'm going to have a, have a moustache I was comparing but, uh, it to Joao Almeida's because he's been growing his moustache for a similar length of time. But do you know what? Yeah. Um, I was sta- I, I was I said hello to Mark Cowan. I said hello to uh, Andreas Lechnerson. We bumped in, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, also, I said, I said, well Lucas done, Yeah, and you like, I patted him on yeah. the back. Did you? I actually touched the Malia Rosa. <laughs> uh, his press officer just looked at me. I yeah. thought, I've just, it's too late. It's in yeah. the past. Yeah. It's got to move on. I had a word with Lucas Poskeberger, gave Cav a hug, which was nice. Did you? Um, yeah, he, 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 he was, just, he was shivering. He said, mate, mate, I've got to go, I'll see you later, I'll yeah. give you a ring. But he was just shivering, you know. Uh, yeah. a, a tough day, but we'll, I think we'll dissect the, the tactics in the car, won't we, a little bit later. Yeah. But it uh, looks like we're making progress here, Ned, which is nice. Yeah, well, uh, but no, 7 hours 15 of comms. It's a lot of talking. We were... I we started today, I, I, though, weirdly. Yeah. I don't know it why. Was, well, Aristini. Aristini? Aristini. Oh, yeah, where did you get them from? You pulled from the stall? Out. 10 oh, euros, brilliant. just yeah. a bang. Yeah. 5 euros per 4 sticks. Yeah. Um, That's the yeah. best shot of the day, actually. You have Samuele Battistella brilliant, wasn't grabbing it? them from the side of the road. Yeah. I've never seen that done before. No, nor have but, I. Especially um, not with grilled meat. But you, the, the thing is, there's the, 
like, do I do I grab these and risk falling off and impaling myself on, on some on a lamb skewer? And you're that quite, was, yeah, you're uh, quite right. He started handing them around to everyone, didn't he? He did. Yeah, mate. He grabbed out seven, and then he gave like at least three to the the moto who, who didn't he didn't shirk them. No, just I'll have those. I'll have them. I've taken um, those. Absolutely it, brilliant. It was quite a, a moment of levity, wasn't it? On a uh, quite often, quite a, there was there was moments of dullness, but you're quite right. Although it was seven hours fifteen, um, it, I really enjoyed the commentary. We did a bit of almost pod-like commentary. Um, there wasn't, but yeah, hats off to the break though. Yeah, but it well, was, we were uh, very conscious of the fact that um, in Australia, yes, the world feed was actually being watched, and this isn't something that always happens because SBS, who show, I think they sh- it's SBS, isn't it? Show that they have to have a day off, don't they, in Australia? It's by their it's their working times directive. No. Don't they? I no, thought they did. I don't think that's the reason. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't have any of that. I, to I say think then. the reason is that they've got very limited facilities there, ah. and that SBS also have the rights to the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, which is big. They're in it. Australia are in the Eurovision Song Contest as well. They? They've not just got the rights for it. Australia are fielding a team in the Eurovision Song Contest or a band or an act. Yeah. I don't understand the Eurovision Song Contest because it's weird. We've got a, a colleague who's working with us, an Italian lovely fellow, Davide. He loves it, doesn't he? Who is um, not only an RCS operative who get, brings us our results and everything like that and drives the, the mystery van we were talking about earlier with stuff that doesn't need it to be driven around. He drives the, the pointless van around. Um, but pointless also, van. <laughs> but also, he... Um, He's a music journalist. He is. And it's it's, it, it's a quite a high-end, well-respected music website forward slash newspaper. I think it's somewhere on the lines of the equivalent of the Italian NME. Yeah. So he's quite a hitter. Yeah. Quite a hitter. Uh, oh, look, Matt is phoning me. Just carry on talking about it. Yeah, right. I think it's about, it might be about the coat. Yeah, so we're finally in now. Hey, me and Ned. Stay tight, Ned. Stay tight. Late, it's dark, we're somewhere on the Adriatic coast. Ten, ten to ten, nine. Ten to nine. We're about an hour and something away from our hotel. Um, we've bailed out of what has been a truly horrifying... <laughs> Just lightning, sheet lightning across the sky. So, so not, not long ago, we passed through a storm, the likes of which I've never driven through. It was a hailstorm where I genuinely thought the windscreen was going to smash and the car would end up dented. We? Uh, it, sa- it sounded like this, right? It sounded like this. Have you ever, have you ever driven through no. a storm like that? And the hail was falling so fast, it was forming a, like, a, like it was landing on the well, motorway. And well, Basically, we'd seen some. Before we went to a tunnel, there was a lot of hail on the floor, like snow. Passed through a tunnel, 500 metres, something like that. Came out the other side and just hit it. It was like, bang! Mm. And you were driving, and I was... I just thought, I've got to capture some of this. So I, about 30 seconds of it, which you, you've just heard. And visibility dropped down. You were driving very, very conservatively, understandably. But it was so loud, my ears hurt. <laughs> and, and we were worried that the, the car was damaged. Mm. You were thinking the windscreen might go through, but I'd never been in a hell storm like that. Meanwhile, there was lightning going on. It's um, it's just been a been a tough day. Well, sorry, I don't want to do the sound of me eating. No, but we are eating. Content alert: we? we are eating because we're grabbing a sandwich at a petrol station. Basically, that's dinner tonight. Yeah. Sitting in a car, and it's pouring with rain. I mean, we've still got. Sorry, yeah, I am crunching got, as well. So, so we got. Well, I said we've still got a fairly long drive to go, and that that on the end of a day of seven hours of commentary, close to seven hours of commentary, and then. 
queuing for the gondola to That's get in that 45 minutes to an hour oh it was an hour yeah. before we got down to the bottom yeah, and yeah, standing there like in the humiliating sort of like i mean everyone was good as gold weren't they all the, were really nice absolutely actually. lovely they're a really nice bunch and i got you just got to accept it you just got to go yeah. with it. but we were pressed against each other like emperor penguins weren't we yeah and shuffling forwards as each gondola came and left and we're getting ever nearer but then the final stage these doors opened you pass through this electronic checkpoint thing we went out to this platform <laughs> to either side was where each gondola would, would kind of um, stop but you looked out onto this quite incredible view and not saying it was worthwhile because it's a frustrating wait, but what a view uh, out into um, the beyond. It was pretty special. But yeah, it's been a difficult day and we've still got yeah. an hour and a half driving after this. So I it's going to be a date late night. I think every Grand Tour, you get one or two, you just get one or two, yeah. don't you, like this? Mm. Um, where it just, you question what you, but actually, it's been quite, been quite fun, isn't it? It's, it's, it's been weirdly fun. We'll certainly sleep well and yeah. it, is a, it is a bit exhausting. But I wouldn't change it. There been a few tweaks here or there, but it, it change, wouldn't... I'd change some of it. Yeah, <laughs> it would. I'd change the, the queuing system for people who work on the Giro to get down the mountain a bit Sounds easier. Sounds bad, that, doesn't it? Sounds bad that we fit, but... Yeah, honestly, I it's a, I mean, it's a, it's an 11-hour day, is it? No, 12-hour day, as it is. And mm. Just the... They're not that many of us, actually, just to get ahead of the queue and just to get... Would have been cool, wouldn't it? Would have been... Yeah. Just, just, you know, it's been a long week. It's been a long week. It's been a good week. It's yeah. been a... A week of contrast as we head even further north now but no i'm going to um yeah eat this i've got my favorite favorite flavored doritos don't 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 i'm not going to crunch them i'm not no i'm just going to show you them these are barbecue flavor okay, uh, you've had your drivers since so you've got a little cheeky beer on the go messina beer which is particularly tasty i think that one's made of seawater or used with seawater so that's a different it's from, feel it's from sicily isn't it, it is very from funny. sicily yeah, and also exactly. i'm i'm incredibly attached to things that w- that relate to 1923 and the Messina Brewery, the Messina beer was founded in 1923, Didn't so it's that. exactly 100 years old. Oh wow! And every time, because I've spent so long researching 1923, every time I see it written anywhere, it kind of flags and alerts and a little ding. So yeah, Messina beer. If you ever, if you ever in Italy or or in 1923 or, or in 1923, gra- grab a bit of that beer. It's a really nice lager actually, but you don't see it everywhere. It's, I wouldn't call it hard. I wouldn't say it's hard to find. You just don't see it everywhere, and it's definitely worth it if you if it's your if it's your uh, turn in the car and you're not driving. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, it's still pouring down with rain. Thankfully, the hail's gone. Let's see what the rest of this the, journey. The rob. Yeah, the rob. <laughs> you just said this is like. What did you say? It was such a. You said, look at that hail. Though. I, I can't remember. You said, well, like, like Rob, like Rob, like Rob. It was pathetic. And and I I, I you did pulled me up on it. A I bit. did say that's pathetic, and then you laughed and. But you know I was right. No, it's because it's <laughs> no, you're right. It's it's like a pun. It's not really a pun because it's not clever. It's just the no, same word. Because we're tired. It's the same word. We're tired. I've got a mate who's um, who's uh, his nickname's Camel, and he's the arch. He's a lovely bloke. He's actually he works for ITV Sports. He's a lovely bloke, and he loves. I mean, he's an authentic Bow Bells Cockney, right? Born right. and bred near Tower Bridge. Okay. Still lives there with his mum in a council flat, right? And um, he's a lovely bloke, and he's obsessed with Cockney rhyming slang and inventing new Cockney rhyming slang. Wow. Yeah. And he, so he's got some very funny ones. But his favourite one was, um, uh, he said, he said he came up to me once and he said, you're right, you, you've, you've put on a bit of Terry. No, he hadn't seen me for a while. And I'm like, what do you mean you're putting a bit of Terry? You're putting a bit of weight, mate. Terry, weight. <laughs> the, the hostage. The hostage. Well, he's more than the hostage, he's a man, isn't he? Yeah, he was, a, he well, he was the emissary of the yeah. Archbishop of Canterbury, he who was, got in, yeah. in, incarcerated in um, Beirut, along with Paul, McCart- Paul, yeah. Paul McCartney. No, Paul McCartney. 
They were, they were Gil, both. They overlapped. And Paul, yeah, they did. They overlapped. They were chained to a bloody radiator. I mean, but, like, yeah. And Brian Keenan. Brian Keenan. They became deep, good friends, didn't that, they? That book, good friends. that accounts he did, uh, wrote, called it An Evil Cradling, is one of the most extraordinary books I've ever... Anyway, going back to the Cockney rhyming slang, it's not really Cockney rhyming slang if it's the same word, is it? Ter- no. You say you oh. put a bit of Terry. And <laughs> I went, Terry, well, Terry, wait, wait. That's, that's not Cockney rhyming slang, it's exactly the same word. So it's like Rob Hales. So, Hales. It's a homophone. Should we, should we just go? Oh. <laughs> Went on a hostage t- tangent. <laughs> Don't cut that laughing out. Well, we're back on the road after our um, little little dinner. <laughs> I had a tuna. Packed lunch, really, mate, wasn't it? Yeah, I had a tuna sandwich. Uh, that was all right. It was, it was fine. It was fine. Um, and yeah, we've got this. We've got this short little journey. Do you think we should reflect on on the race um, at all? I, I think we should because it was a touted as one of the most as the first significant test for the GC. Um, again, understandably, was it going to be a day for the breakaway or a GC day? We know how that ended up, but ultimately, it wasn't a GC day, um, and that was slightly vexing. I think, and Grand Sasso, you think it's going to be a big stage, and actually the, the stage that ultimately, well, that was won back in 2018 by Simon Yates was com- a completely different affair. Um, it was really torn up. Okay, there weren't big time gaps, but there was a proper GC fight. Can you explain, with your ex-racer's head on, why it, why it fizzled out today in, in the GC? I think... I think it says a lot about Remco, and he's, I think he's playing... His aura. Yeah, he, he's going that well, and and obviously he finished it off and was fourth, fourth on the stage. Primoz Roglic behind him, and um, I think that the the DSs and the squads looked at the course, um, and although there was just under four thousand meters of elevation, most of it wasn't particularly concentrated. It was just, it wasn't the last, the, the steepest part of the, of the day was right at the back end in the last three or four k's. Then the wind played its part, and I think everybody just cancelled themselves out. Um, but I think, and, but it, it is playing at the moment into Remco's hands. But the more this builds up, the, 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 the more we don't see because that's a day of I think of opportunities wasted. But I also think the teams aren't that fearful of of of, uh, of Remco having a pole. I just think they're going to wait and bide their time and do something maybe a little bit more significant and a little bit more focused, rather than concentrating our efforts on small gains. They might be concentrating their efforts on big gains as we get deeper into the race. Uh, and also, um, I think when you look at, like, Remco's team didn't need to chase. Um, I think he was quite happy with the situation and happy not to push it. So Lechnison stays in the jersey as well. And maybe the other teams were happy with that. Maybe they didn't want a chance sending anybody up the road to take the jersey, although that, I think that would have been remote. So I think there's lots of, lots of things that were contriving to... Inspiring circumstances. Yeah, conspiring circumstances, basically. Um, so, yeah, a, an odd one, but the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. But in terms of a spectacle, a GC spectacle, it was quite, it was quite. you used the word blunted, and it was a little bit disappointing. But, again, you know, should we, what do we want out of our bike racing? Do we want the, our, our riders to, to kind of, they can't in this new era, although they're, they're strong, they're fit, they're honed, they're also, they're also hopefully, you know, they're, they're riding clean, and um, and you can't these stages. 
why race them when you can look further ahead and, and make big differences? It's all about winning the race overall. And clearly, today was identified as a day that there weren't any significant gains to be lost, so we'll just leave it. Um, but as a spectator, and for us, it was yeah, slightly disappointed because we want spectacle, and, uh, and I don't think we got it. Uh, from a GC perspective, but we got it from the breakaway, didn't we? What a uh, win that uh, was! The, the break was a whole different thing altogether, wasn't it? And that was that was splendid to watch and really interesting and full of nuance. But yeah, it was a, it did fizzle out. I mean, um, it was quite interesting. You you when when I was just waiting to do a little bit of I can't remember whether we've spoken about this on the pod already. I don't think we have, have we? The, I think we've spoken about it, but not recorded the speaking about it. Okay. So you, you bumped into a few riders, didn't you, at the finish line, just who were waiting to turn around and go back down the mountain? Yeah, um, just a couple. Um, the first one, these are slightly out of order, but I quite like the first one. Um, I looked at Jao Almeida, and he looked at me, and he winked. I think that was just a reference to my moustache my, my resurfacing. I think he thought, that's, that's quite good, that. That's quite think, an image. I can, I, yeah, Jao Almeida, I can up. see him winking at yeah. you. I can visualise that, because he's a kind of... And I'm, I'm very careful. I say this. He's a winky character, isn't he? He's a winky character. He's quietly confident. Can you know think, what? Can I you think of like another famous Portuguese sports star famous for winking? Uh, Ronaldo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. I may, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, saw Mark Cavendish um, to walking across the car park. Walked up, said hello, gave him a hug, and, and he hurried off because he was clearly cold and eating. He had a bowl uh, or a. Tupperware box of pasta which he was tucking into wished him all the best yeah. but he clearly had a, had a long day as everybody and then, and then uh, you, sent, you sent him a picture yeah. of you and me uh, and the massive queue for the gondola yep. like that half an hour after well no probably three quarters of an hour after you'd had that little hug with Mark Cavendish you sent him that picture I, I sent the picture and he sent back a message saying oof no way no way uh, mate no way mate uh, <laughs> so we just, uh, I'd also bumped into Lucas Postelberger who again unsurprisingly was tucking into a, uh, a Tupperware uh, box of, of Tupperware box of, of carbohydrates pasta, of carbohydrates of pasta and looking particularly chirpy fist bump on this occasion no wink no hug but a fist bump so another way of communicating but using bodily contact um, it was attired in a bright blue tracksuit and and I said how did that go he said mate it was boring is that literally the word he used? It's, it's boring. It's, it's so a, mad to think a, yeah, and he thought, that riders actually in the race find it occasionally boring. He said, I was expecting it to kick off. And he was in that, he only got distance from the front group um, with a few k's to go and they yeah. picked it up. So it says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, so he thought he, he was puzzled by the, the lack of action of the GC uh, teams. It's uh, quite funny, he found himself on the descent off the front, didn't he, by mistake? Like, not by mistake, he just went faster than, I can't remember, it was DSM riding, wasn't it? The yeah. Controlling the, and he just found himself like a few, like, looked like it almost was a borderline attack on the descent. And then he had to kind of look round, he looked round and went, no, no, I didn't mean it. And he kind of pointed at the, I think he pointed at his, I think he might have been out of the booth at the time. He pointed at his handlebars, pointed them out to the camera as if to say, I just couldn't help going fast, I've got aero bars on and like, yeah, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, but um, that was quite an interesting take. Uh, obviously, a solid ride by Eddie Dunbar. Uh, pick up his first top ten of the, of the Giro. It was looking strong, but yeah, it was a, it's a strange, a strange race. But I'm, I'm really, what I don't want to do is feel like I'm criticising uh, the pros because it's a hard enough sport, um, and they're clearly riding on instructions. But I think at the moment, what we've seen, I think that they might be slightly playing into Remco's hands because tomorrow, as we speak, I mean, when this pod goes out, it will be today. But tomorrow we've got. It looks like a sprint stage for 180 k's, and then it turns into a tough Torino finale. 
uh, with a couple of laps at the end and two difficult climbs. So I think we'll see a reduced group uh, go to the finish. No, C, no GC chains. And then we've got the time trial. And um, Remco is looking so strong. And I think he's possibly going to win that time trial and take another minute and a half, a minute at the least, out of most of the GC riders. And some of the purer climbers, probably the best part of two and a half minutes. Um, and yes, we've got the hardest part of the race to come but a diminishing amount of opportunities to take time from Ebnepol. And then we've got another TT at the end. So this could be, we could get a bottleneck and, and some sort of big explosion, or it might just fizzle out and riders might settle for, uh, for the more minor placings. But I do think Ineos are looking strong, UAE are looking strong. Jumbo Visma look, still look good, and they've been very conservative, which I think is the right way to ride. Um, yeah, super con- so it's even simmering, <laughs> isn't it? But it's, I think it's going to boil over in the second week uh, and into the third week. Definitely, it, ha- it has to, Ned. The conservativeness of uh, Jumbo Visma even extended to the final 20 meters of today's stage, where Primoz Roglic relaxed, re- reacted to um, Remco's very late surge, his attack once Dunbar had been caught, and I think Remco was just trying to get himself a, a few more seconds, like force a split. Um, and Roglic saw that, and uh, actually, when you look how effortlessly he responded on a kind of Remco, uh, uh, Roglic-esque finish, he got there. And he, but then he, once he was on Remco's wheel, he just he didn't try and get past him to, to outsprint him for fourth place. He just went there. And Remco's just sat on his wheel. And Remco's first um, instinct, as soon as he crossed the line, was to look to his right and just check. And he went, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay, you're there." It was telling, wasn't it? Yeah. It was telling. I mean, uh, they are. Still, I, I think they, they both look good. Uh, in fact, arguably, I, I think I'm wondering if we'll see, and I'm sure everybody is, and I'm, I'm sure Roglic is himself, um, what sort of TT performance we'll see from Roglic. Will we see him close the gap a little bit more? When I say close the gap, I don't mean necessarily beat Evnipol, because I think that's quite unlikely. But um, yeah. will we see a better performance where the, the differences aren't as big and we go into the next set of GC road stages with uh, an enhanced advantage, but still an advantage that can be snaffled away very easily um, if Evan was to falter. Uh, and I think he is looking good. His team looked better today, but again, nobody was really put under any pressure. They didn't have to do any riding at all. And also, I think we should doff our cap as well to the way that DSM respected the jersey today. They could have pulled the pin and said, right, over to you, GC teams. Um, but they made sure that the threat of uh, Petilli was 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 taken away they continued to ride and never looked to anybody else and Florian Stork wrote his heart out today so did the rest of the squad Lechnerson did well and also the, the, the post-race interview from Lechnerson was telling he said he said yeah that was a bit strange I don't think he didn't exactly use those words but he said I, I, I was I was ready for a battle and it didn't happen and here I am in the jersey again he said it was boring as well yeah he said, that's it yeah yeah it did yeah so so there you go so that's so I, I think very much like um, well, he expected something different. We expected something different. But maybe, maybe this is good. Maybe we're going to see something particularly explosive, particularly dynamic, unorthodox, counterintuitive happen um, after the time trial. Yeah, and, uh, but hats off to the winner because Davide oh, yeah. Baiz is the younger brother of Mattia Baiz who's been around the block quite, quite a while. I mean, you know, Davide Baiz is actually into his third year with Aeolo Cometa but yet to win a race. Yet to race, this is his debut at the Giro d'Italia, the, the younger of the Matisse, uh, Matt, Matt, of the Baiz brothers. And um, I, I mentioned this on the World Feed commentary, but I don't think many of our listeners have heard the World Feed commentary, so I think it bears repeating that 
I, I read an interview with the two Bice brothers before the race got underway, in which they were asked about their they were asked about their ambitions as bike racers. And Mattia, the more senior of the two, said, "My ambition is to win a, a stage of the uh, of the Giro d'Italia, quite clearly." And Davide, uh, his younger brother, just making his bow at the race, said, "My ambition is simply to remain as a professional for as long as I can and and to participate in the Giro d'Italia." And this interview was done back in in, in January, so the clear pecking order there. Well, it turns out the younger brother got there first, which yeah. is like, if you're Mattia, you're going, yay, but also, God. Yeah, and uh, in addition to the stage win, he's now got, I think it's the 37-point lead in the King of the Mountains classification, so what a day for Yoda Cometa. Fantastic, and truly deserved as well. They stuck their neck out, and they got in that move, which we predicted would get caught, and we we wondered, didn't we? Uh, normally you would, huh? Yeah, normally, I normally. Right. normally. And then we, we uh, you came on the phrase an old-fashioned breakaway gap, and it went to 13 minutes, yeah. and and that was enough. And and we did say if it if it gets to 11 or 12, tailwind it, with a tailwind, with although it's a super hilly day, it was there was a lots of long drags with a tailwind, fast climbs, and that's the thing. Fast climbs are difficult to get rid of people, and the more and more you look and you drill down and look at the the topography of the course, the way that the elevation was smoothed out across the day you're rather climbing or or dropping there's no flat sections in steep climbs that I think is why we saw the result that we got and it also begs the question as well these iconic stages are important I think but do we really need these long stages that end up in a stalemate I'm, I'm, I'm still a big fan of these shorter stages 160 150 stages with flat sections and steep climbs which provokes real aggressive racing um, but again um, a wonderful day for Viola uh, Cometa, another fa- fantastic day for Lechnesons. Um, and, you know, if anyone who wants to, to win this Giro d'Italia, they've got to go on the offensive because at the moment, Remco Evenepoel, the only weakness, I think, and I say this with respect to his squad, because uh, we have to compare them to the other teams here, will be the fact that it, it might be his team. But um, I'm sure they'll do their very best to galvanise around him when they do come under attack. But um, Ineos, look look mean they look they look like the team that could cause uh, the most harm I think and that ladies and gentlemen is how you do punditry very good thank you very much Matt anything to add um, we've got one hour and five minutes oh, I've got Still. some more of my Doritos left and my favourite flavour barbecue but you can't eat them on the and podcast I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not going to and uh, we, we've reacted to we've yeah, consumer it's demand it's a two way yeah. process isn't it we pod you guys chat or get back to us and, and um, we react um, clearly and, and we've tempered um, we've tempered our eating the into a microphone <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. oh god today's oh, endless isn't it yeah just endless